Over the last two years, we have encountered a new reality, and we have learned a number of relatively new rules for living. We have learned about the importance of masks, and we have experimented with several different kinds of masks. We have learned about social distancing, and we have been encouraged to practice social distancing in a variety of settings. We have learned about the importance of vaccines, and we've decided whether or not we will be vaccinated. We have learned about the importance of isolation and both its positive and its negative implications. We have learned and in many ways relearned how fragile our lives and our way of life is. Now, like any rules, we can ignore these rules, but when we do, it often turns out to be not only to our detriment, but to the detriment of those around us. Likewise, we have learned when we pursue a rule or rules too vehemently, it often turns out to be our, to our detriment and to the detriment of those around us. God also gives us rules to live by. And when we ignore them, it often turns out to be not only to our detriment, but to the detriment of those around us. And likewise, when we follow the rules too rigidly, that also often turns out to be to our detriment and to the detriment of those around us. Consider the Apostle Paul particularly early in his life, Paul was really big on rules. As a Pharisee, he stood at the very pinnacle of the Jewish religion, and he was all about enforcing the rules, enforcing the law. He believed, and in most ways correctly so, that is the way that we are intended to live. Now, as a young man, Paul believed that the followers of Christ were wrong. And so he vehemently persecuted the followers of Christ. He went so far as to obtain letters from the high priest allowing him to arrest any in Damascus who followed Christ and return them in chains to Jerusalem. And so, letter in hand, Paul sets off for Damascus. But as he approaches Damascus, a blinding light flashes around him. He falls to the ground, and to his utter amazement, he hears the risen Christ take him to task for persecuting him. 
And in that moment, Paul became the lifelong bond slave of a new master. He was told to continue his journey to Damascus and there await further instruction. Now, the brilliant light that flashed around the Apostle Paul was the glory of the risen Christ. And it was so bright that it blinded him. And so his companions led him to his lodging in the city on a street called Straight. And he remained there fasting and sightless for three days, struggling to grasp the new reality in which he was finding himself. He was then visited by a disciple of Christ, a devout man, Ananias, who greeted him as a brother and laid his hands on him. And Paul immediately received his sight back, and he took food and drink. And Ananias also acted as a mouthpiece for Christ, giving Paul the further orders that he had been told to expect, bidding him to be baptized and conveying to him Christ's commission to be his witnesses to the world. The incredible grace of God in Christ Jesus our Lord reached out to Paul and claimed him before he could respond. And it totally reshaped his life. Instead of living simply to carry out the law, Paul began to live to make God's grace known. And when Paul came face to face with Jesus, the one he had been persecuting, Paul expected the axe to fall. But what fell was not an axe, but a glorious invitation. Come, join us. Paul never forgot the sheer grace and the sheer joy of that moment. He spent the rest of his life trying to make that grace known. And in his letter to the Thessalonians, which is one of his earliest writings, Paul gives us some rules for living in light of what Christ has done for us. These rules that we are to follow are not rules to earn Christ's favor. They are the result of encountering Christ's grace and wishing to live in response to it. Because of the grace that comes to us in Christ our Lord, we can, in Paul's words, rejoice always. We can pray without ceasing, and we can give thanks in all circumstances. And it is as we follow these rules that we will find in the grace of God the insight and the wisdom to deal with all of the things that happen around us. The ability 
to rejoice always flows out of being focused on God. A few years ago, in fact, quite a few years ago, on a beautiful October afternoon, Badger Stadium in Madison, Wisconsin, the home of the University of Wisconsin Badgers, was packed full of fans. There were thousands of diehard supporters there to watch their team take on the Michigan State Spartans. Now, Michigan State in that particular year had the vastly superior team, and they were very easily winning the game. What was odd was that as the score became more and more and more lopsided, the fans, the Wisconsin fans in the stands would burst out in applause and in shouts of sheer joy. And obviously the Michigan fans were wondering what in the world is going on? How can they be cheering when things are going so poorly for their team? What it turned out was that 80 miles away, the Milwaukee Brewers were beating the St. Louis Cardinals in a pivotal game three of the World Series. Now, many of the fans in the stands were listening to the game and responding to something other than their immediate circumstances. And likewise, when our focus is on God, and the grace that comes to us in Christ. We have reason to rejoice even in the most difficult of circumstances, even when it would seem illogical to do so. Now, such a focus, being truly focused on the grace of God, requires us to get out of ourselves Rich Tatum tells of going on vacation and taking along his new digital camera, which was a very fancy, very expensive digital single lens reflex camera. And upon returning, his wife began to proudly show off their vacation pictures. And she would then share with Rich her co-workers' reactions. And after a few days, he noticed a recurring pattern that disturbed him. Inevitably, people would say, wow, your husband must have a really nice camera. Now, even though he was happy that people liked the pictures, he was disappointed. He wanted people to acknowledge what a good photographer he was. Finally, he ranted to his wife, why do people do that? Nobody looks at a painting and says, nice brushes. <laughs> Nobody looks at a skyscraper and says, nice drafting table. Nobody looks at a sculpture and says, great chisels. What's wrong with people? Now, he said it felt really good to get this frustration off his chest until his wife said, 
How often do you look at your pictures of nature and say, nice work, God? When we're focused on God and the grace of God, rejoicing comes easily and naturally. And with it comes the insight and the wisdom to deal with the issues that we face. The second rule that Paul offers us is to pray without ceasing. Now, I have a number of mental images of this, but one of my favorite comes from Tevia in Fiddler on the Roof, for whom life is prayer. And the events of the world and the events of life are an interruption. One of the delightful things in the movie is the way that he excuses himself out of his prayer to respond to whatever it is that's happening that's forcing its way into his attention. As Christians, we are invited to live in relationship with God. And the more that we pray, the more that we give thanks for God's grace, the richer that relationship becomes. Now, unfortunately, we often try to live life on our own terms. A classic example comes from long ago, back in the days when Yogi Berra was catching for the New York Yankees. It was the ninth inning. There were two outs, the score was tied, and the bases were loaded. The batter steps to the plate and takes the bat and draws a cross in the dust on the plate. And Yogi looked up at the batter and took his mitt and wiped out the cross and said, let's just let God watch this one. <laughs> Too often, I think, that is our attitude. We try to take care of things on our own rather than lifting everything to God in prayer. When we know the incredible grace of God, we don't hesitate to lift our lives to God in prayer. And the insights that come as we do so are what enable us to cope with the new realities that we encounter in life. The flying Wallendas are trapeze artists. And they explained in an interview that there's a special relationship between the flyer and the catcher in a trapeze act. As the flyer swings high above the crowd, the moment comes when she or he must let go and arc out into the air with arms up, ready to be caught. The flyer must never try to catch the catcher but must wait in absolute trust 
The catcher will catch him, but the flyer has to wait. Praying without ceasing is letting go and allowing God to catch us and lift us to new levels of faith that we might live as God's representatives in the world. And the third rule that Paul offers us when we know the incredible grace of God is that we find ourselves giving thanks in all circumstances. Mother Teresa told of going out one evening into the streets of the city and picking up four people. Now, none of them were in very good shape, but one of them was in terrible condition. And she told the sisters, you take care of the other three, and I will take care of this one. She did for the woman all that her love could do. She got her into bed, wiped her a bit clean, and gave her a small drink of water. Mother Teresa said, the most beautiful smile came on the woman's face. And she took Mother Teresa's hand and said two words, thank you, and she died. Now, as Mother Teresa told about this, she reflected on herself and examined her conscience and asked, what would I do if I were in her place? And she admitted that most likely she would have tried to draw a little attention to herself by saying, I'm hungry, or I'm in pain, or I'm dying, or something of that nature. But the woman gave much more. She gave her grateful love and died with a smile. The more we know of and the more we experience God's incredible grace, the more we find ourselves giving thanks in all circumstances. And that gratitude has amazing ways of opening us to the ways that God is calling us to go. A man was in a serious car accident. He had a severely pinched nerve in his neck. Couldn't move without very significant pain. The doctors did a lot of examining and ran a lot of tests, but eventually they ruled that surgery was just too risky. So they had him all measured and they made a very special and strong neck brace for him and sent him home. Now, obviously the man was not able to do much of anything and uh, any kind of movement that he did caused pain. But he also, in a matter of days, became just severely despondent at being in the same room all the time. 
And so in spite of the pain, he moved himself out to the patio, even though it was a cloudy, rainy day. And as he sat there, a bird landed nearby and began to sing. The man couldn't believe any creature had reason to sing on such an ugly, rainy, windy, cold day. Now, a week later, the man did the same thing, and he got himself out to the patio again, in spite of the fact that he really wasn't supposed to be moving around any more than he had to be, and in spite of the discomfort that it, it caused him. But this time, it was a beautiful day, and the bird returned and began to sing, And as he listened, the man realized the bird sang because it was part of who he was. It was a song not altered by outward circumstances. The bird sang, rain or shine, no matter what happened. In the grace of God, the same is true for us. The more we know of God's incredible grace, the more prayer and thanksgiving flows out of our hearts, and the more we are enabled to be the people that God intends us to be in the midst of the changes that we experience. Because of God's incredible grace, given to us in Christ our Lord. We can rejoice always. We can pray without ceasing. And we can give thanks in everything. May, by the grace of God, it be so in our living. Amen.